Hi, it's Michael. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Kobo in Conversation. It is now an annual tradition for us to do a show around this time of year where I get to hear from Kobo employees about their reading recommendations. And while I've grown to love it for a number of reasons, this year is extra special. If you heard the batch of bonus episodes that went out in April, you'll know that we've been working remotely for most of the year. So as much as I was looking forward to hearing everyone's picks, I was especially happy to get a few minutes to chat one-on-one over Zoom with some of Kobo's best book lovers from all parts of the business and all over the world. So settle in, relax, and let us keep you company as we talk about some of the books we loved in 2020. Enjoy. Can you tell us your name and what you do at Kobo? Okay, my name is Jen McKenzie. I am a partner manager for Kobo, so I'm basically a technical troubleshooter for all of our international bookstores that we work with. Tell us the book that you're recommending. The book I'm recommending is called A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. I'm actually recommending the audiobook, which is narrated by Anisha Dadia. And uh, tell us about it. Why is this a great book to read? Well, for me, this was exactly the book I needed to read when I picked it up. You know how you find those books and they're just perfect right at that time that you're reading it? It's exactly what you need. So this book is, it's a magical school, kind of like Hogwarts, but crossed with the Hunger Games. The school is trying to kill the students. There's about a quarter of the students who go to the school survive to graduation. I think Harry Potter would have been a lot more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So we have all these little wannabe wizards and witches, and the reason why their parents send them to them is because as soon as you hit puberty, all of the evil, nasty, unnameable monsters that lurk around the world as a sort of Lovecraftian horror waiting to get you, notice you exist, and they view these little wizardly children as the perfect snack. So parents are sending their kids away to this school, desperately trying to get their kids into this school, because while they have a one in four chance of surviving to graduation, they've got a one in 20 chance if they don't go there. So all of these kids are locked in on their own, just trying to learn enough magic to deal with the monsters trying to eat them which was great that's, analogy for COVID. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, so I thought it's like, great. Yes, it may be bad in here, but it's worse out there. Yeah. Stay home, stay inside. <laughs> so is this the kind of book that you, uh, that you normally read? Is this sort of in your, in your range of genres? Kind of. It's, it swings a little younger. I don't normally ring, read young adult fiction, but this sort of fits under that umbrella. I do love escapism. I love to read fantasy and murder mysteries. Um, not so much horror, which is also kind of ghosty with mm-hmm. all the unnameable horrors tracking them down. But it's, it's the kind of thing I like to read about. And as you said, it's, it's YA. So although it is, you know, it's certainly darker than uh, you know, a Harry Potter, yeah. it's, you know, it's not so macabre that you're like, you're going to be kept up at night because you read it. It doesn't get any darker than the Hunger Games, which is thematically dark, but not, you know, guts and gore all over the place. Got it. Dark. And you recommend the audiobook. Uh, so uh, you like the narrator, you thought it, uh, it came across well uh, listening to it. Yeah, the main character is really sarcastic, which I love. And the narrator captures that I'm just trying to get everything done according to my plans and everyone is foiling them on me. Attitude across perfectly, which was 
something I love to read. I love when you get a nice, smart, sassy, snarky heroine going. It's just perfect. (laughs) Jen McKenzie, thank you so much. You're welcome. Can you tell us your name and what you do at Kobo? Hi, I'm Courtney Totterash. I'm the manager of audiobook content. And what does a manager of audiobook content do? Um, We work with all of the publishers to get their audio content on site. So making sure that the quality is good and all of their metadata is correct. And we just have, you know, the best catalog in audiobooks that we can offer. Fantastic. What book are you recommending? I'm recommending Luster by uh, Raven Lelande. Tell me all about it. I was pretty drawn to it because uh, during this time, uh, my reading uh, my reading habits have really changed, and I was looking for something a little bit uh, lighter. Mm-hmm. I'm usually gravitating towards literary uh, fiction, um, and wanted something that maybe had more to do with, uh, I guess, like romantic, uh, sexual relationships, kind of like a beach read. But I also found that I couldn't really totally let go of those uh, literary fiction um, foundations and roots that I'm so tied to. So this was a really good uh, a mix of those two things, I think. Uh, it's about a young Black woman who begins uh, relationship with a married white man and she uh, through various different circumstances ends up living with him and his white wife in the suburbs um, outside of New York and they have an adopted black daughter. And for for this book, as you say, you are usually in the, the literary fiction range this is more of a veer. It's not quite a romance, but it, it has some of those characteristics. Did you did you still feel at the end like you got the reading experience you were looking for? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very complex. And I think in uh, maybe I, I like the mix of salacious and good sex writing with tackling issues of race and um, uh power dynamics and privilege in everyday life. So I think it's, it's, it's you know, I, I said that I was looking for, for like a, a summer read and it very much fulfilled that, but also was very complicated and complex and, and led me to questioning a lot of things in, in everyday life with, um, you know, different um, dynamics and, and, and uh, positions of power. And I want to make sure that I phrase this properly, but Good sex writing is also something that you have a a professional interest in, even outside of your <laughs> audiobook work, right? Yeah, that's true. So I run a literary speaking series where I um, curate a panel of authors and, and various other creative people or, or um, individuals that I think can speak um, eloquently and interestingly on sex. Uh, and that's in Toronto. So um, just trying to make it more comfortable um, and, and exploring those, those ideas um, publicly. Yeah. And so would, would this have qualified as a, as a book that could be discussed in that series? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she would be, an, um, the author of this would be an amazing get for us. I think that would be on my, my dream list. And, and since the series has moved to Zoom, uh, I guess that becomes more and more realistic, uh, hopefully, as time goes on. <laughs> well, cross my fingers. And so is this, uh, if uh, someone listening to this goes, wow, that sounds like an interesting series, is that something that they could find online somewhere? Yeah, um, we have an Instagram. It would be at smutburger, S-M-U-T, and then burger like the food. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Well, I will say that on your your recommendation on our internal staff uh, uh, Slack staff picks, this book came up. Uh, I read it because you told me to, and I agree. It was absolutely fantastic. So thanks so much for your pick. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't um, take recommendations lightly. I'm only going to scream it from the rooftops if, if I really, really love it. So I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Courtney, thank you so much. Tell us your name and what you do at Kobo. Hi, my name is Elizabeth, and I'm a business operations analyst here at Kobo. What does a business operations analyst do at Kobo? So I work with our publishers when they deliver metadata to make sure all the content for their books is appearing correctly on store. So that's a lot of like pricing, descriptions, covers are appearing, all that fun stuff. And a few other things. What book are you recommending for us today? I am recommending Open Book by Jessica Simpson. Now, this is fascinating to me because I just did a deep podcast dive into the life of Jessica Simpson. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I now feel like this is a book that everyone should read. Tell tell me why from your perspective. I think genuinely I was in such a reading rut at the beginning of the pandemic and not just like a few weeks, like months. I started probably actually around 10 books and I couldn't finish any of them. And then I started listening to this audiobook when it came out and I was completely engrossed by it. All I could talk about was Jessica Simpson for months or like a long time. I still reference her. Yes. Like I still talk about Jessica. Jessica Simpson has a lot to teach us. The more I talk about it, the more I actually I'm like, no, Jessica Simpson, like this is a perfect celebrity memoir. It has anything you could ever want. It has like amazing gossip about other celebrities. I learned so much more about John Mayer. Um, it like I learned about like fo- a little bit of football culture with her relationship with Tony Romo. Yeah, it just like has anything you could ever want. And she also reads the audiobook, and that's what I listened to. And I think it allows us to agree, you know, were there any shred of debt remaining that John Mayer is actually an awful human being? Oh, yeah, he's terrible. Right. But, but this gets this gets dissected in great, great detail. And so I think it, it, it helps to teach other people that if you see John Mayer-like attributes in your partner, you know, run fast in the opposite direction. Yes, exactly. And, and so she reads it, and do you... Do you feel like she's just telling you her story or is it, you know, does it feel like she has the book open in front of her and she's reading it? It just feels like you're just sitting with a friend and she's just like telling you her life story. Like you're just sitting down and you're just like chit chatting and you're just like learning more and more about somebody that maybe you had, like I had definitely had like one idea of who Jessica Simpson was because, you know, I was like young when like newlyweds is out. So I knew like the whole like chicken or fish thing. And I thought she was like kind of a, like an idiot and then, I don't know, She it's not that she, like, she, she's, like, very apologetically herself. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with, like, the way that she presents. She's like, yeah, I'm, like, a bubbly, like, blonde person, but I'm actually, like, 
not stupid like the way that i was like portrayed on mtv mm-hmm. and she was also so like i when i newly was on i was also a kid so i didn't realize actually how young she was like i'm older now than she would have been on newlyweds so it was just like a really like like a revisionist like looking back I'm like oh yeah she was like a child when she was doing that and has this then put you into a realm of celebrity biographies autobiographies or was this a one-time thing and you've you got what you needed from it i've always loved a good celebrity autobiography i've always been i've always liked to read like a good i've usually been more of like a like a comedian memoir mm-hmm. like i like like bossy pants by tina fey yep. and like all like those types of books but i've never really like delved more into like the pop star side but now i'm i just want to read more and more. <laughs> and did it, you said at the beginning that this was inspired by a reading rut that you were in. Did this help power you out of it? Oh, it ab- actually absolutely did. <laughs> and so now you're back on track. Now you're finishing books like they're going I'm out of style. Back on track. My reading challenge is like complete for the year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So now we know Jessica Simpson, open book, uh, fixes reading ruts, teaches you important life lessons, Stay away from John Mayer. Exactly. All right. (laughs) Great. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you. Tell us your name and what you do at Kobo. My name is Deandra Lalonde, and I am the content sales lead for North America. What does a content sales lead do? I sell books, plain and simple. Uh, If you go to any of the pages, basically, on the Kobo site in Canada or the US, I've probably had a hand in deciding what books go where and what books we're trying to sell you. Um, I read a lot of them, so hopefully I'm giving you the right ones. So you are the you are the human element that makes this a store actually run by people as opposed to just by machines. Yes, and we put a lot of thought into everything that we put on the site. So there is definitely a very strong human element. <laughs> okay, so give us your uh, give us your human element take on the book that you're recommending. Book I'm recommending is Shit Actually by Lindy West. All right. Tell me all about it. Why should uh, why should we read this book? This book, I think we needed this year. <laughs> it brought me so much joy. I listen to audiobooks while I'm walking my dog, and I was I'd have to stop in the middle of the street because I was laughing too hard to keep walking. Um, didn't really care what my neighbors thought about me, luckily, but I it had me crying tears of laughter uh, throughout the whole thing. It just felt like it came, you know, this past fall. So middle of the pandemic, (laughs) we all need a little bit of a bright spot, especially if you started listening to or reading any other darker books. This was just what I needed as a palette clear. Um, Any friends I've recommended it to since have all said the same thing. Um, I want to read it again because I'm sure I've missed parts of it because I was laughing too hard to hear them. I just finished this book as well, and shit actually uh, is a, each chapter is about a different movie. on, And she goes back into kind of into like classics of the 80s and 90s, as well as movies that are today, and each chapter is her summary of that particular film. Uh, and the first one is the, her thoughts on love actually. And I listened to that, and it I couldn't catch my breath for laughing and completely destroyed that movie for me. (laughs) 
I know. I love what she did about it was that one and there's other ones where she just destroys it and she makes all these points of things you never think about when you've watched it before. Um, but at the same time, at the end, she might say like, she still loved it and it's fine to like these movies. They don't have to be great works of art. Here's all the issues with them, but they're still nine out of 10, you know? <laughs> and the, uh, the rating system is very important. Yes. Well, Lindy starts the book by telling us that The Fugitive is the greatest movie ever made. Uh, she makes that very clear. She goes into a little bit of an essay about The Fugitive and then continues to rate every movie after that out of 10 DVDs of The Fugitive. So I believe Love Actually was maybe two or three DVDs of The Fugitive out of 10 DVDs of The Fugitive. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which was just a perfect cap at the end of every essay. <laughs> It was, and I and I think will now become my rating system for uh, for movie quality going forward. Had you had you known Lindy West before uh, before this book? Yes, so I had read her two prior books, Shrill and uh, The Witches Are Coming, uh, and I loved them. I loved listening to them in audio. She reads all her audio books, so it is in her voice a hundred percent, and I think that really adds to it. It makes it a little bit special. Um, and she just always has me laughing. And her last two books were a bit more on the serious side, I would say, but still keeping it light and with that Lindy humor. Whereas this one was just funny. <laughs> uh, and I love. And I'll second the recommendation for listening to the audiobook because I think when you when you jump into the book itself, it's it's kind of like you're reading a series of uh, you know almost like online hot takes. Uh, but once you get her voice in your ear, then then it's like your friend ranting at you, you know, on the phone or across the you know across the table about this thing that she's incredibly passionate about and has very deep feelings for. It feels like you're just talking with your friend, even though you're not saying anything. Or she'd have opinions where you're like, yes, yes, I've thought that too while reading this or watching this movie. So it feels like it's exactly that. You're on the other line with your friend, uh, which again is what we need right now. So I just think it was the perfect book for this year. Um, I mean, I'd listen to it no matter when it was released, <laughs> but this is the year we definitely needed it. All right, so we have uh, excellent takes on movies. And we also have the additional artificial friends that we uh, that we all need right now. <laughs> exactly. Deandra, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I am Tracy Nestle. I'm the head of communications at Kobo. And the book I'm recommending is The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. Tell us all about it. Why should we read this book? Well, it's interesting that the book is called The Dutch House and not The Dutch Home. It's um, It's a a family story and it it has it, it sort of references classic fairy tales in a way so what we have is a brother and a sister very very close they have a mother who has vanished when they were very young a distant kind of hapless father who has bought for them a mansion that only he loves nobody else likes this lavish castle like home and lo and behold, enters in a evil stepmother who loves the home beyond anything else and slowly but surely kicks out the two children. So Hansel and Gretel are essentially banished. And it's the story of kind of how they 
make their way in the world, how they define family and, and find relationships. It's very, very character driven, this book. And it's, it's just kind of a, a yummy read that, you know, picks up on all kinds of family dramas and tensions and things we all experience, maybe not in quite so dramatic a form. And you are a, a an Ann Patchett fan from way back. I am. And interestingly, among her books, the one I have liked the most is, is a memoir of her friendship with uh, another writer. But this book is vintage Patchett. It's just a great story, lots of characters, lots of twists and turns. And what's interesting is often how little characters seem to understand themselves, which is, I would think, kind of hard to write about, but wonderful to read about. So this has been an exceptional year in all kinds of ways. Has your, have your reading habits changed? Have your reading genres changed over the course of 2020? You know, it's interesting. I find that the more stressed I am or the more scary the world seems to become, um, the more I turn to darker and darker murder mysteries. <laughs> so it's like, let's see just how bad this could get. <laughs> exactly. Which made, I think the reason why the Dutch house stands out to me is it wasn't a macabre murder. <laughs> and it was, and it was about. It's just garden variety family. Family tension. strife. Yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of appealing to me. <laughs> Um, there is the mysterious disappearance of a mother, which, you know, depending on how you feel, is a good or a bad plot twist. Tracy, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Tell us your name and what you do at Kobo. My name is Jean-Marc, and I'm VP for Business Development. I've been at Kobo for seven years now. What's the book you're recommending? So, Michael, the book I'm recommending is a, is a biography uh, by Simone Vell, uh, V-E-I-L, a French politician, and it's, a li- it's called Simply a Life by Simone Vell. What is it about the life of uh, Simone Vell that, uh, that makes this a book that people should read? Well, you know, uh, there are a few heroes in life, and to me, she's a true hero. She's someone that uh, I, I really, you know, if... If I were, uh, if I had a choice, I would be this woman. <laughs> she's she's just an amazing person. She what she achieved in her life is unique, coming from a place which was dramatic. So um, it, it's it's a story that I don't think anybody could write if uh, one wanted to. Place her in a bit of uh, of historical context for us. When um, when was her life happening, and kind of what was going on around her at that time? So she's born between the two world wars, um, and uh, she's, she died just a couple of years ago. Um, Simone Weil uh, was uh, uh, the youngest of a family, a Jewish family, born in the south of France. And she's sent to Auschwitz, uh, where most of her family ends up dying. Uh, she ends up being um, uh, the leader of the European Parliament and plays a key role in French politics for many, many years. And are there particular traits about her that that really resonate with you um, that kind of draw you towards this book? Well, uh, the, the first thing which really, I mean, there are so many things that impress me with this book. One of the things which I find absolutely amazing is that she is a woman in, at, at a time where being a woman, most of the, in most instances, is being home and, and being actually subordinate to your husband. And, and that's what happens to her mother. 
but she's not going to do that with her life. After the war, when she comes back from the camps, she decides to be uh, uh, to go and be, become a judge and being a mother at the same time. She embraces life completely, fully, and she determines what she wants to do after dramatic circumstances. Uh, so she's someone who shaped her life in, in, in a way that's, that is... Um, that shows so much power, so much conviction, uh, so much energy and freedom. And, and, and I find that amazing to see a human being uh, able to go against what life is throwing at her. Are you a, uh, a biography reader all the time, or was this a, a book that particularly grabbed you? No, I, I, I read biographies from time to time, uh, but this one just grabbed me. It's it, actually I heard about it on the radio once. Uh, someone was doing a, uh, book reviews, and and uh, they had an extract about this book, and I find it fascinating. I didn't know that well. I should have as a French citizen, um, and um, and I, I discovered someone who was unique. And the way this book is written, Michael, is absolutely incredible because, in exactly as a personal is unique, but the way she writes is unique because every word is picked with care. What she says, how she expresses herself is a true reflection of a mind that is, that is absolutely awesome. Um, as it, it, she, 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 everything she says is very carefully weighted and, um, and, and balanced. Uh, to give you an, an idea about what she was able to achieve in her life, she's the minister who actually got abortion legalized in France. Um, so you, 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 cannot, you can see the impact she had on French political life um, as a woman, as someone who was a Jewish woman sent to the death camps, uh, a survivor, um, it's unique. Yeah, it's Amazing. And it's, a, it's an autobiography. Correct. So it really is her thoughts, her words, uh, her telling her own story. Yes. And for example, when she talks about this, she says her dad was very, very keen on people using the right words. He would insist that you couldn't mix one word for the other, even if they were close in meaning. But each word had its importance, and when and her thinking really reflects this because um, she she in her lifetime she becomes the uh, president of the European Parliament. Now this is a woman who was persecuted by by the Nazis, and she gives a speech in front of this audience made up of obviously a lot of German people, and she talks about she in her in the speech she talks about peace, she talks about freedom and social justice. Um, as a human being, what kind of what kind of person do you need to, uh, do, you, do you have to be to to suffer from in such a great fashion and be able to not forget but move on and build on on top of it? In this book, we have both um, a, a personal story of survival, overcoming. We have French politics. We have the search for justice, and uh, and we have an incredible life all rolled into one. Sounds amazing. Absolutely. Uh, I, was, I was delighted to talk to you about it, and I hope lots of people read it. <laughs> Can you tell me your name and what you do at Kobo? Yeah, of course. I'm Benji Lightstone, and I'm a mobile app developer. And what's the book you're recommending for us today? So the book I'm recommending is called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And this is a book that's been around for a long time. Um, it shows up on a, a surprising number of different people's best book lists. What is it about this book that uh, makes you recommend it? So I think for the same reason that it shows up on a variety of different people's best book list, it's 
you know, I think the title is a little bit misleading. It was probably good for the time um, when it was written about, you know, 80, 90, 100 years ago. Um, it's just a great guide and a reminder on how people work and the way to form the best relationships with people. And, you know, no matter, regardless of what your job is or what you do in your personal life, it's kind of one of the foundations of not just trying to be successful as a person, but just having, it'll just lead you to have uh, a life with less friction that's more enjoyable. And that's an important point because I think a lot of people classify this as like a business book, like you should read this if you're going into sales or something like that. But it, but it isn't really. It's a, it's a human dynamics book. Yes, exactly. And it's funny you say that because I, before being a, a developer, I was actually in corporate sales. And one of the biggest things I learned from corporate sales that this book teaches you as well is understanding how people are motivated is one of the most important things because that's why we do what we do. Um, right down to what we do when we wake up in the morning to what we do all day at work and make major decisions. So it helps you to understand people and their actions and also how to get the most out of everyone around you, whether it's your spouse, your kids, or your coworkers. And by getting the most out of them, I assume you mean the deepest, most meaningful relationship as opposed to extracting value from them. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I would, I would say a bit of both, right? And so how long ago did you, uh, did you first read this book? So I read the, first read this book about seven years ago, um, and I'm in the middle of rereading it right now. Are you pulling different things from it now than when you read it seven years ago? Yeah, I definitely am. So this is, it's definitely something I learned very well seven years ago, but it's just reinforced it now. Um, so one of the quotes from the book talking about criticism and how you're not supposed to criticize, condemn, or complain. And so one of their quotes is, criticism is futile because it puts a person on the defensive and usually makes him strive to justify himself. Which I use, you know, I used to use more in a, I guess, personal context previously, but now I use in code reviews with my team. Because uh, even just omitting the word you, when you're, you know, giving someone feedback, it doesn't direct it at them as harshly. Um, and it can make it so much more positive. And, you know, for those people that aren't developers, when you submit your code for another developer to review, it's as if you put a painting on display and someone is telling you everything that could be better about your painting, something that you put your like blood into. Mm -hmm. But with code, you, you, you have to do that. Um, and that's how you learn. But if it's not done correctly, it can be a very, I guess, hurtful process in a way uh, for the person receiving the feedback. And so this has helped you in terms of being able to uh, have those kinds of interactions with your with your colleagues and in the end, give better feedback. Yes, definitely. This seems like a book that could, uh, uh, could be read by just about anybody, whether you are... Um, whether you're in business, whether you're just wanting to look at the kind of the, the personal relationships that you're, uh, that you're experiencing and at almost any level of seniority, because this is something that we run into, whether you're just starting out for the first time or you could polish up if you've been uh, out in the working world for decades and decades. Yeah, I completely agree. Unless you somehow work with only robots. And yeah, I definitely <laughs> think no matter who you are, this book will be extremely helpful. 
And it's actually good to reread um, once in a while because, you know, when you read the book the first time, you realize a lot, a lot of this is, you know, common sense in a way. And if it just might not have been something you thought about um, in terms of like human psychology and how people work and how people respond to different things. Benji, thank you so much for this. We'll uh, we'll let you get to work on the sequel, How to Win Friends and Influence Robots. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Mike. Tell us your name and what you do at Kobo. Um, my name is Vanessa, and I am a training and development specialist at Kobo. What is the book that you're recommending for us today? I am recommending uh, a great young adult uh, book that's called Cinderella is Dead by uh, Kevin Bayron. So why is this a book that, uh, that people should read? It's, it's good for uh, many good reasons. Uh, first of all, it's a young adult, but um, it's very accessible to everyone. And not so young adult, which I'm part of. And the reason I think people should read it, it's quite, it's quite unconventional for uh, a young adult book. It features openly gay characters, you know, openly gay teen characters. Uh, the main character, the heroine, Sophia, is actually a person of color. And there's a lot of uh, class issues talk in this book. And um, it's also good, I think, for um, what's called fairy tale lovers, because it's a, it's a spin on the Cinderella fairy tale. It's very interesting. And so this is a, uh, it's a fantasy novel. Is this a a world of magic that they're in? Is this a, is this kind of a, is it a retelling of the Cinderella story? Um, it's a little bit of both. So they are in a magic world uh, where Cinderella lived uh, 200 years uh, prior to where this story is set. Um, mm-hmm. And her life became the tale that we know, but it's also the tale that everyone in the household, in every household in the, in the kingdom has to read. Um, Otherwise, there's a lot of things happening. Yeah, there's a lot of magic in, in, in this book as well. So, yeah, I would say, yes, young adult fantasy. But it straddles that young adult category of uh, great for younger readers, but also, yeah. you know, like Hunger Games, uh, one of those books that an adult can pick up and dive into as well. Definitely, definitely. There's a lot of themes that you can find in fantasy books and young adult books, you know, uh, identity, coming of age, um, but also kind of um, maybe dystopia is not the right word, but, you know, like a world that is mm-hmm. not right and that you need the teenager, the fearless teenager to make it right again. Um, so, yeah. Are you a fantasy reader uh, normally? Is this, a, is this a genre you spend a lot of time in? Yeah, I'm a fantasy reader. Um and writer as well, and a young adult uh, reader. So, call my eyes definitely. Have you uh, have you gone deeper into fantasy in twenty twenty? A world, you know, a, a year where we could all use a little bit of escape, <laughs> uh, or have your reading habits been unchanged? I haven't really read a lot of fantasy weirdly enough this year. Maybe because this year is a fantasy dystopia in itself, so I didn't need anything else. Um, I went a little bit all over this year, you know. I went to autobiographies or thrillers, um, this book, obviously, memoirs. Um, I've been a little bit all over the place this year. Vanessa, thank you so much. Very welcome. Thank you. Uh, my name is Parmit. Uh, I'm a product owner for Kobo's content management system. 
and Kobo Writing Life, which is Kobo's uh, self-publishing platform. What's the book you're recommending for us today? Uh, so the book I picked is called Mustache. It's by S. Harish. It was originally written in Malayalam and it's been translated to English by Jay Street Kadapil. And what makes this a book that you think people should read? So the book I found really interesting, I feel some of India's best fiction is written in regional languages. Uh, and to sort of unearth that fiction, you know, translation sort of makes it available to people like us who can't understand all the languages. It's a lot of languages in India. So the book essentially is the story of Bhavachan, who's a Pulayan, which is like a South Indian community, low in caste hierarchy. And Bhavachan gets an opportunity to play a policeman with an immense moustache in a, in, in a musical drama. Now, moustaches in India are symbols of status and power. Uh, but Bhavachan decides to keep it, even though it's like a right reserve for upper caste men. Right. And sort of the story sort of goes from there and eventually this moustache starts terrifying, you know, the rigid hierarchical communities of India, of the south of India. The moustache eventually sort of assumes like mythic proportions, uh, tales and legends are being invented, reinvented around it. And the moustache sort of becomes an independent character. So Babachan essentially becomes a moustache. Uh, I totally loved it. It's got aspects of magic realism, fantasy. It's very metaphorical. There's commentary on the caste hierarchy, gender. I should say there's places in, uh, in which the gender dynamics seem a little off, and the book has invited criticism for that. So I'd like to point that out. But other than that, I also loved how early it is. It's very steeped in the local landscape. My wife is from Kerala, uh, which is the state this is set in. So it's set in the beautiful waterscapes of Kerala. You know, there's an impossible maze of waterways. There's a man-made ecology where paddy fields are reclaimed from lakes and swamps. So, and the book sort of, the, the whole geography of the region is also like a character in the book. Yeah, really interesting, really good introduction to, you know, Indian culture, South Indian culture, I'd say. And has your wife read the book as well? Uh, no, she's really excited about reading it. I did have to uh, get some help from her uh, for some parts because it's pretty dense. Uh, it doesn't sort of translate it for, you know, uh, people mm -hmm. who don't know about South Indian enough. And I like that, you know. Uh, uh, she's excited about reading it. But as a translated work, you feel that it's it's captured the essence of the book that you're uh, that you're getting the author's intent fully through the uh, through the English translation. Absolutely, I end up reading a lot of translations precisely because, like I said, some of India's best work is is written in regional languages, and I feel like this is a brilliant, brilliant translation. Do you find that you've read differently this year in uh, in twenty twenty, or have you continued on your your, your steady diet of uh, of fiction and translation throughout? I have actually struggled to read this here. Uh, mm -hmm. And this book sort of helped me, you know, uh, get on track, a bit, like back on track a bit. I also have sort of tended to really read a bit of non-fiction this year, which is not usual for me at all. Uh, but yeah, this sort of got me back to my love for fiction. Uh, and, and I really like that. My reading's been pretty, pretty sparse this year. It's a theme that, that seems to be coming up uh, with some of the people that we're we're talking to in this series is this is the book that brought me back. Yeah, you know, this is the you know, this is sort of the breakthrough book that got my reading habit back on track. So it's uh, it's interesting to see that you know individual books can help people break through what has been I think a difficult year for uh, for people to keep focus on reading. So it's uh, it's great that this book was able to do that for you. Parmeet, thank you so much for this. This was fantastic. Yes. Delighted to be here. Thank you for this, Michael. Tell us your name and what you do at Kobo. 
My name is Trevor Hunter, and I'm apparently the chief technology officer, which means things are usually my fault when they go wrong. I like the confidence in uh, in you apparently being the chief technology officer. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, what's the book you're recommending today? I'm recommending Network Effect, which is part of the Murderbot series by uh, Martha Wells. Um, it's a science fiction novel. It's, I forget which number in the series it is, but it's kind of the first full-length novel, whereas the rest of them are novellas. This was a, a series that I started reading a couple of years ago as well, and it totally grabbed me. Uh, I've been anxiously awaiting each new book as it comes out. Describe the main character to us. Like, who's who's sitting at the center of this book? The main character, um, it's a, it's an artificial intelligence, um, and it's what's called a security unit. So it's basically a detective slash security guard uh, for humans in the in the universe. But this character is the story. The yes, it's set in space and things like that. But the story is told via the inner monologue of this artificial intelligence um, thought process. So it's it's very relatable. I'd say some of the quotes I've seen, those, which are very true, it's the most human artificial intelligence I've seen. It's, uh, it, it's inner monologue just is sarcastic, it's pessimistic, it's vulnerable. And um, it's, you know, it just gives that sort of glimpse into what, you know, might be running through my head half the day as well, too. You know, that just that inner monologue um, as it shows self-restraint and um, confusion and vulnerability and things like that. It's uh, it's really approachable and uh, and uh, really well done. You're right. This is a a window into. I mean, what machines could be thinking about us right now, but certainly what they will be thinking in the future as they achieve sentience is essentially, why am I surrounded by these idiots? And and how can I get done what I need to get done while surrounded by layers and layers of human fallibility that I have to work my way through, which is not unlike being a CTO. <laughs> I, I don't, I wouldn't quite put it like that. I think uh, there's a lot of support network in being a, a CTO, but uh, what I like about this character as well is not just, you know, the sarcasm and the pessimism around the, uh, the people around it, but its own vulnerability about being found out or its own uh, vulnerability about um, not appearing uh, as a certain thing or not appearing as threatening and, and things like that and what it goes through to try and hide away from uh, situations that it might be afraid of uh, and things like that. And I think we are now either four or five books into the series. So once you get started, um, the uh, there's lots of uh, there's lots of reading to do afterwards. Character develops in a really interesting way as it uh, as it goes along. So it's a uh, it's a rich vein to uh, to tap into once uh, once you get going. Have your reading habits changed at all this year? I've read less, unfortunately, this year than I than I would have in this, uh, in other years. I think there's just been a firestorm uh, of things going on this year that's taken away from that. But where the murder bot kind of fits into that. Is I find it very light reading. It's short. It's not complicated to understand. It's not high science fiction where you're trying to grapple with lots of different concepts and stuff like that. It focuses around a central character, their inner monologue, and you don't have a lot to understand. So it's very light, approachable reading. The thing you can pick up for five minutes and put down again uh, five minutes later and, and not worry too much about having to get a lot of time in one place to read. 
And each book is kind of a whodunit or a, a mystery at the same time, or at least there's a central mystery to each book. So there's something that propels you along. There is something to figure out. But as you say, it's not a, you know, deep and complex world building and, you know, massive multi-solar system dynamics that you have to piece through. No, exactly. It's it's a combination of a little bit of science fiction backgrounds, very human, approachable central character, and then just the normal sort of mystery of what's going to happen, the tension building up, and then finding out what's layers behind the scenes in terms of scenario and situation. All right. Network Effect, latest in the Murderbot series by Martha Wells. Trevor, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Tell me your name and what you do at Kobo. I'm Danny Sinatambi, and I'm a campaign coordinator on the marketing production team. What does a campaign coordinator do? I'm checking the quality assurance on our emails and banners that go up on the site and that go out to our consumers. So all of the, uh, if you receive a Kobo email, chances are good that you have stared it in the face at some point in the past. Either myself or someone on my team. Yes, we've had eyes on those emails. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. See, not just machines, real people behind the whole thing. Uh, tell me the book that you're recommending. So I'm recommending Una Out of Order by Margarita Montemore. Why is this a book that, uh, that people should read? Um, I really enjoyed the take on time travel fiction that is explored in this book. And since it's a female time travel, I thought that that was a really interesting um, take on that genre. And I think everyone should read it. So I'm a, I'm a sucker for time travel books. And one of the things that I, that I like about it is that every author has to have their own twist on both how time travel works or how this particular person is able to travel through time. So how would how would you describe how time travel is happening in Una Out of Order? Yes, yeah, so I thought this one was actually very interesting. I've never read a book that was explained this way. So Una's mind actually travels every year on her birthday. Her birthday is December 31st. So she starts each year in a new body in her own life. So mentally she could be 19 in the body of her 50-something self. So she kind of goes back and forth with fads and friends and advancing technology and different men. So actually in Una's case, youth isn't wasted on the young because she gets to experience her youth sometimes with an older mind. And how would you describe the the feeling of this? Is this, um, is it dark? Is it comedic? Is it introspective? What's the tone? Um, the tone, I guess, because she experiences life out of order, it really makes you, like it gives you a perspective on life that sometimes one you could just be one bad you. It doesn't necessarily establish um, the whole outlook of your life. So I think it's really a book about hope and just enjoying moments in the present, not focusing too much on the past and the future. So there's actually an interesting line that stood out to me in the book where one character tells Una, um, most of our lives are, are kind of like novels, but for Una, it's a collection of short stories. So, you know, enjoy every moment. Well, it was the, the question that I was just going to ask, because that that device must do, must do really interesting things to plot and story structure. You know, you're not getting one big continuous uh, continuous arc. But are there are there themes that develop and come through over the course of this uh, this disjointed life? Yes. So since it is going back and forth, there aren't too many consistent characters that carry out throughout the book. I would say it's probably Una's very close friend who we meet. Um, very close to the beginning, and Una's mother. Um, and because she gets to go back and forth, um, mother-daughter relationships aren't always the best, but because she gets that perspective of being older and younger at the same time, um, you really get to see that mother-daughter relationship grow throughout the book, and that's probably 
um, the most important relationship. And would you say this is this is typical of the kinds of books that that you read every day, or was this a was this a particular standout for you? Um, I do actually enjoy time travel fiction. So the Time Traveler's Wife is probably my favorite book of all time. Other than time travel fiction, I actually really enjoy pandemic fiction. So when the pandemic hit, I needed to look for something else, and that's when I found you know out of order. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love dystopian fiction, and then I got to live in one. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> perfect. And how how has this year affected the way that you read? I feel like I've actually been reading Mo because I just have Mo time that I probably would have spent commuting. I actually read a lot Mo um, audiobooks when I was commuting while I was driving back and forth from the office. But now I found time to just kind of sit down during lunch or after work and just get a couple chapters in. So. I read, I think, 10 books last year, and I've read well over 20 this year, so much bow this year. Amazing. Una Out of Order by Margarita Montemore. Danny, thank you so much. Yes, of course. Happy to give that record. Can you tell us your name and what you do at Kobo? Uh, my name is Jesse Sarkis, and I'm a business operations analyst for audiobooks at Kobo. And what does a business operations analyst do? A lot of different things. I support the content management team with um, publisher issues and investigations, anything to do with uh, content ingestion or content appearance on site or in app. Uh, so a lot of testing and investigations and supporting uh, publishers. And what's the book you're recommending today? I'm recommending Open City by Teju Cole. Tell me about that. Why is that a book that people should read? The reason I wanted to do this and recommend it is because even though I work with audiobooks and I listen to a lot of audiobooks, I don't really listen to fiction audiobooks. But for whatever reason, I tried this one and it just turned out to be the perfect book for walking around a city in lockdown. The book was published 10 years ago, 2011, but it was only recently released as an audiobook um, in April 2020. So, kind of just after lockdown started. Mm -hmm. And I've got to be honest, I actually, there's still one or two chapters left in the audiobook. I haven't finished it because I'm savoring it so much when I go on these little walks, listening to it in these little chunks. But um, the, the protagonist is, um, his name is Julius, and he's this, he's a Nigerian German psychiatrist completing his residency at a Manhattan hospital. And he's just broken up with his girlfriend, and he's kind of in this transitory moment in his life, and he starts taking these long walks up and down. Um, Manhattan and it's kind of this it gives this great impression of you just you're kind of walking in a dream he's this ultimate flaneur he's like this aesthete who's interested in art and music and literature so everywhere he walks he's kind of this alien observer seeing things and then sparks a memory he recounts something a conversation so it's just a complete pleasure to listen to while you're walking around uh, this deserted city it kind of populates it you know and it makes you wish oh what would walking around deserted New York in this book populating it be like so so in a in a time where we're where we're i think we're all kind of spending more time walking around in a city that's you know sort of half open half closed to us has it has it changed the way that you look at cities i don't think so i th it's it definitely changes what what you see but the way i look like I, I studied photography and that's kind of my background and it's interesting because teju i found out after starting this book was a photography critic at New York Times Magazine and does photography as well, but it's kind of this, you just love to walk around and observe and look at things. Everything is always animated. Um, and now it's just, 
it's less populated what you see so you notice you notice different things it doesn't really change how you look but it, it definitely changes what you see <laughs> and you like the uh how it was done as an audiobook yeah narrated by the author uh, he's just great he's brilliant at it did you start this when the lockdown first happened in in april so has this kind of been a bit of a constant companion for you over the course of the last few months yeah yeah, it has. And, you know, the month will go by, I won't listen to it. And then another month, I'll listen to a couple of chapters. I'm I'm really savoring it, you know. Sometimes I do that with a book that I, I'm just loving it so much. I, I don't, uh, I don't binge it, you know, I savor it. I'm interested in this because this is kind of the, it's the other style of reading that we don't hear as much about. As you, as you say, the focus is usually on, oh, I couldn't put this down. I read it all the way through. I, yeah, I binged it. But there is something to be said for that thing that you can keep visiting again and you pull a little bit more out of each time you do. That's a, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's almost if I read it, if I read it too much consecutively, um, I'd get overexcited about it, you know? Open City by Teju Cole. Jesse, thank you so much for the pick. No problem. Thank you. Tell us who you are and what you do at Kobo. My name is Lee Cole, and I'm a senior director of sales and marketing, managing multiple countries for Kobo. And what is the book that you're recommending for us today? I'm recommending a book called Eat a Peach by David Chang. And David Chang is the, I guess, now celebrity chef, uh, founder of Momofuku. Uh, what is it about this book that makes, uh, makes you want to recommend it to others? Well, firstly, I, I love David's um, restaurant, Momofuku. I know he owns a couple of others, but I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of food in general, and I just love that genre. Um, I think what I love about the book specifically is how honest um, David is. He doesn't glorify the industry at all. He doesn't glorify himself. It's a very real book, and I found myself completely immersed in it for the one day that it took me to read it. And so is this, is this a story of his life as a chef or are you learning about his take on food? How is it, how is it put together? Yeah, it's kind of a combination of both. He first talks about his, his Korean American upbringing, what his parents expected of him, the, the um, dynamic that he had in his community and what was expected of him by his, uh, by his friends. And then that he took an unconventional turn into into food and becoming a restaurateur and a chef and it showed a lot of conflict about what he was expected versus what he was what he thought it would be versus what it actually was and so i think it's a combination of both him as a person and evolving in the industry as the industry evolves itself um, so extremely enriching and he's a super engaging guy like he's just a good storyteller He's, he's a great storyteller. He, he has a lot of self-doubts in the book. He, he, it's almost as if he's writing a diary and talking to himself, saying things like, I don't really know who's going to want to read this book. I wouldn't even want to read it if I wasn't myself. Um, but in all that honesty and in all that realness comes across a very good story and a very engaging um, book from my perspective. He, in some ways, has he's taken over the Anthony Bourdain mantle of the go anywhere, eat anything, dive into different cultures, dive into different cuisines mantle. 
but it feels like in as you say a more self-deprecating humble kind of way than uh, than what Bourdain did the book I found scratched the nostalgia that I've been craving since the loss of Anthony Bourdain I, I read all his books I watched all his shows and I saw a big similarity just in the way that they viewed the industry and themselves within it um, but yeah they're they're sort of different as people um, and I think their writing style is a little bit different, but ultimately they both love the industry so much to the point that they they bled for it, literally. In this year, which has really not been a, a kind year to either restaurants or to the people that love to go to them, how, how was it reading a book about incredible food, incredible places to go and eat, and yet finding yourself trapped at home, un- unable to go there? It was very sad. Um, it, it just reminded you of all the places that brought so much excitement to you in the past, being able to experience other people's tastes and cultures and travel. Um, but I think if there's anything that this book did, it just makes me excited for what's to come once everybody's out of this pandemic. I know I'm looking forward to trying different cuisines, all the new restaurants that are opening, and especially places that are struggling. You see how hard anyone from a line cook to a chef works, and you just want to support them in the process. And I think that's what partly made the read so difficult this time. Eat a Peach by David Chang. Lee, thank you so much. Thanks very much. Tell us your name and what you do at Kobo. My name is Laura, and I work on the Kobo Writing Life team as author engagement specialist. What does an author engagement specialist do for Kobo Writing Life? Um, A little bit of everything, to be honest, Um, but it's a lot of one-on-one author care. Um, So working on author questions that come in to us through tickets. Um, I do the Kobo Writing Life social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, And I also do a lot of fun banking stuff, um, making sure authors get paid on time. Very important job. Listen, there is possibly no more important job than making sure that the money gets out. Tell us what book you're recommending. Um, So the book I'm recommending is The Night Swim, and it's by Megan Golden. Tell me about it. Uh, So The Night Swim follows Rachel, who's a true crime podcast host um, of the show Guilty or Not Guilty. Um, So basically the premise is the first season of her show led to an innocent man being released from prison. Um, And Rachel becomes sort of an overnight sensation due to this. Um, And the book begins with Rachel recording the third season of her podcast, where she finds herself in the midst of a controversial trial in a small town. Um, So as she begins kind of throwing herself into the investigation, she starts to receive these mysterious letters um, from someone who wants her to investigate a crime from 25 years ago, the death of Jenny Stills. Um, And she begins to wonder, are these two cases connected? Um, And this was a really quick read and really kept me guessing throughout the book. Lots of twists and turns. So I definitely recommend it for any mystery or thriller readers. Are you a mystery and thriller fan all the time? Not all the time. I honestly read a little bit of everything, um, but I definitely try and switch it up. Like if I'm reading a lot of romance, then I switch it up and add some thriller in. 
And are you the kind of person where like you'll read and read and read and read in one genre and then go, ah, stop it. And then you flip the switch or are you more measured in terms of going back and forth? Um, so definitely, like you just said, um, I'll be reading a bunch of romance and then I'm like, okay, I need to read something um, a bit scary to kind of switch it up. Um, but then also sometimes I'm like, okay, that book is really dark and I need a happy ending. Um, so that's where romance comes in for sure. So for The Night Swim, is it, uh, describe the tone to me. Is it like investigation focused? Is it creepy and mysterious? What's the what's the flavor of it? Definitely more investigation focused. And there's definitely um, some legal thriller aspects to it as well. We get some of the courtroom scenes. Um, one of the cool things that I really liked about this concept as well is because Rachel's um, a podcast host, you also get her podcast episodes as well. And you get to see the letters that are written to her um, from the mysterious letter sender. No spoilers here. Um, uh, so you get to see a little bit of the past and the present and then the podcast as well. So it's a pretty cool book. How do you, uh, how do you find new things to read? Like where do your book picks tend to come from? Um, so honestly, people who say that Twitter doesn't sell books are wrong and they're following the wrong people. Um, I definitely think I find a lot of book picks from Twitter um, and from Goodreads as well. So definitely a lot of social media. And have you been reading differently this year than you've read in previous years? I feel like I've definitely been reading a lot more romance this year. Um, it's just one of those years where you need, as I said, a lot of happy stories, um, a bit of a distraction. Put a wedding at the end of this thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that is The Night Swim by Megan Golden, recommended by Laura. Thank you so much. No problem. Tell us your name and what you do at Kobo. Hi, I'm Tara, and I'm the Senior Manager of Author Experience for Kobo. So I work with the Kobo Running Life authors and make sure that we're getting lots and lots of books on the site. Tell me about the book that you're recommending. Okay, so it might have seemed like a strange choice for me to recommend, um, but I found this on the shelf at Kobo, um, and they send advanced copies. And at the start of the pandemic, um, when we were at home, one of my things, I was like, I'm going to go through all the advanced things that I have. So this one came out a couple of years ago. Um, but I picked it up to read. So it's called Into the Raging Sea uh, by Rachel Slade. And it is a nonfiction book about um, a terrible um, shipwreck, the El Faro that came down in uh, the Bermuda Triangle area during a, a massive hurricane. I picked it because the writing was really, really good. It read as a thriller. I almost read this in one day. I actually sat while it was raining one day and it really kind of felt like I was on a ship reading this thing. Uh, and it was terrific. So I think what makes it a little bit different, so I kind of compared it to like The Perfect Storm or something like that is in like, um, it's like this thrilling movie um, because the amount of research that Rachel has put into this, so she's a, a Boston-based journalist that does um, kind of like a lot of like journalism work in general. But what was unique, I thought, was that um, they actually had access to essentially like the black box of the ship. So there was this like sinking that went on for like a couple of days as this massive container ship was going down. But they actually had all of the dialogue between the captain and all the first mates and everything from the entire scheduled uh, route. So they're able to kind of like go up until the end, getting all of the um, dialogue. Um, and then she kind of intertwines that with um, interviews with the family. And um, yeah, it just it just reads like this kind of very gripping thriller. And I, I love a nonfiction book. 
So first of all, I didn't know that ships had black boxes. So that's that's already fascinating. Yeah. And second of all, you said that you kind of found this to be a bit of an uncharacteristic pick for you. Why would you say that? Um, I tend to pick a lot of nonfiction that's usually like historical or um, like biography driven um, rather than event driven. But also one of the reasons that I wanted to pick this was because um, it really sparked me off on this weird wormhole that I've gone down in my reading since then. So uh, MT, I've spent like the entire summer only reading books based around like ocean stuff. Um, So this started me and then I started reading about like whaling in areas and then I started reading about like people that took up surfing and uh, now I'm reading Moby Dick and hope to like really full circle my, my ocean content. Um, but yeah, that's that was one of the reasons I was really inspired by it, because um, I like going down these sort of little wormholes, especially now when we have more time. Well, it's something that we talk about a lot at Kobo, is, that, is the difference between recommending and selling fiction versus recommending and selling nonfiction. In fiction, if you've got somebody on an author, you're going to drive right through all of that author's collected works until you get to the end, and then maybe you hop to another one. But nonfiction is is kind of like the spiral in a topic or around a topic. And it's a, it's a whole different kind of discovery that people have to do. Because as you say, it could be from you know, shipwreck to the history of container shipping or to bigger storms or to Bermuda. Like you really do spiral around a topic and hit it from a bunch of different angles. Absolutely. And um, I think as well with nonfiction, we kind of sometimes think about it as like the more modern day events. Um, but this book came out two years ago and is, you know, there's no reason why you wouldn't read it, even if it wasn't coming out this week, you know, and it leads into like all these other topics. So um, yeah, I like nonfiction for that. There is a different essence of discovery. Thank you so much for your recommendation. No problem. Thank you. What is your name and what do you do at Kobo? Uh, my name is Nathan Maharaj and uh, I'm director of content marketing for Kobo and I produce this show. <laughs> so if you've liked it or not liked it, this is the person that you get to it is uh, entirely you my can fault. blame me too. I, you know, I, I, I take partial responsibility. Mostly he was following to, orders. So no. I <laughs> no excuse. What is the book that you're recommending today? They can't kill us until they kill us by Hanif Abdurraqib. Tell us why this is a book people should read. Hanif Abdurraqib is a poet uh, from Ohio. Um, he's, uh, I think he's in his thirties now. He's just a little younger than me, I think, or at least that's how I, that's how I think about him as like little brother age. Um, he is, he is black, he is American, he is Muslim. Um, and he is a wonderful writer on pop culture and has a really interesting voice on just about anything. I would read him telling me anything. And this book is is really marvelous because uh, even though it's ostensibly this this collection of essays uh, about a lot of there's a lot of music in here, but, um, it's framed by these these little one page vignettes. Um, they're they're snapshots from the 1979 NBA All Star Game as Marvin Gaye is singing the national anthem, and we keep coming back to Marvin Gaye singing the national anthem, and then we go to an essay about uh, when he was at the first Fallout Boy show in Ohio when they called themselves Fallout Boy, or how he drove eight hours to go see My Chemical Romance and uh, and how the reunion tour um, was nostalgic but also made him 
sort of regret how he spent his time then, but not really because, you know, youth isn't really wasted. So it's all these complex feelings. You know, Carly Rae Jepsen, he's got a whole essay on her, a whole essay on Prince. So it's like, it's everything. It's like, it's like he's inside my head. And, and, and also, you know, not ignoring the fact that he is often the only black guy in the room. And so he writes from that perspective as well, that he, you know, he's there for the music and, and he loves what he loves. And he also has to acknowledge, um, for some reason, I'm the only one. And he finds himself in situations where he's, you know, you know, in a car and he's the only black person who's the member of this friends group. Uh, and he's just experiencing things a little differently. He is a fully realized intellectual. Uh, he, is a, he is a fully realized writer. And it's just a marvelous book. And it was super helpful to have this to read during the pandemic when my reading volume took a total nosedive and I could barely get through anything. And I, and once I got to this, I knew I could always just, I could spend 15, 20 minutes with Hanif before I went to sleep and, and it would be good. And it would, it would be stimulating. It would remind me why I love reading, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't obligate me on a journey longer than I could bear. I've also experienced some of that. And it, it's, for me, it's been in the, the sudden appreciation or maybe reappreciation of the short story and and the essay. I've never been a short story person. I mean, you know, I've kind of sometimes been in and out of books of essays, but this year it was just the right thing because mm. some days that your head is full of bees and you just can't <laughs> you can't sustain it, but you still want that that perfectly encapsulated literary moment and. Uh, and it sounds like this book was able to deliver that. It really, really was. I'm, I'm, I'm a little sad that that his, um, I mean, his next, the the book he wrote after this is is all about a tribe called Quest, who I appreciate, but I'm not like a deep fan, so I'm not, I'm not up for a whole book about tribe called Quest. Maybe, maybe there's more in it. Maybe I've only scratched the surface of it. Um, but you know, if he wants to write a, a a book that's half about Prince and half about Carly Rae Jepsen, I I am I am available for you know to 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 check the 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 uh, to do the copy editing. Like I I want to see that immediately. So if it's tribe called Quest and one other pop culture figure that may give you enough uh, leavening, I may to, have a way to in. Power you through it. And honestly, he's so interesting. I don't I don't I'm not into emo, and I I loved his essay about. Uh, about my chemical romance and uh, and you know you and I even after after we talked to Eternity Martis who is a big emo fan we we spoke about this too and uh, it's it's I I, I don't care for the music at all but I am there all day long for for Hanif talking about his love of this music well and and now I feel like I need to listen to more my chemical romance because <laughs> this you know that gives us two authors who have not just been like influenced but deeply inspired by yeah. my chemical romance so there's something there that i clearly have to tap into <laughs> we're missing out nathan thank you so much for this yeah thank you and that's it we hope you've added loads to your to read pile all the books that we've talked about, along with previous episodes of the show, can be found, as always, at kobo.com slash conversation. Thank you for listening, and we will be back with all new author interviews in January. Happy holidays, be well, stay safe, and have a happy new year.